Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Just to put the, uh, today's gospel reading in its context, we remember that uh, we're getting to the end of Matthew's gospel. We're at chapter 22. There are 28 chapters and um, in a way it kind of is speeding up. We're now in the last week of Jesus' life um, and a lot's going on. He's already come in in triumphal entry into Jerusalem uh, to Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And uh, he has been proclaimed as David's son. And so in that sense, Jesus has come into his own city as king of the city. And then he's gone into the temple and he's overturned the tables of the money changers in the temple. And he's proclaimed that his father's house should be a house of prayer, proclaiming himself God's own son, king and son. And then he's been confronted, of course, with the religious elite, the chief priests, the scribes and the Pharisees, who then had asked him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you that authority? And they had that interchange going on. And he said, you tell me about John the Baptist's authority and I'll speak directly to you. And of course, they prevaricated. So the last three Sundays, we've been looking at parables through which Jesus actually answers their questions. So the the background of these parables is that question that they're asking. And in several different ways, he's talking about his kingdom, the kingdom of God which has come with him, how he has the authority as God's only son, as Messiah who is also son, and who is going to come into the kingdom And who is not going to be included into the kingdom and the requirements for entry into the kingdom. So all of those things can be found in the parables that we've seen over the last few weeks. The first one, if you remember, he was talking about the two sons. The father asked the one, we asked both of them to go into the vineyard and work. The one said, uh, no, um, I'm not going to go, and then ended up going. The other one said, yes, I'll go, and didn't go and work. And those represented the tax collectors and the sinners who initially said no to God's invitation, but heard the message, repented, and actually went in and worked. The other son who said yes but did not go represents the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day who were speaking out of both sides of their mouth. The next one, what we looked at last week, was the parable of the wicked tenants, again representative of the religious elite. The tenants have taken over the vineyard. It belongs to God. It belongs to the vineyard owner. And yet they want it for themselves And he sends prophets, he sends slaves, representative of the prophets, and finally his son. 
And they kill the son, a foreshadowing of what is going to happen not far distant in Matthew's, uh, in Matthew's gospel. And so these have been saying, first of all, that those that you don't think are actually the ones who are going to be invited into the kingdom because of their change of heart. The tax collectors, prostitutes, the sinners are going into the kingdom. The kingdom is God's own kingdom, but it's the son's inheritance and he's brought it in. And the wicked tenants are the ones who are going to be taken out of there and the kingdom is going to be given to others who will show forth the fruit of the kingdom. And this third parable that we come to today is called the parable of the wedding banquet. And it again speaks to by what authority are you doing these things and who gave that authority to you. So it's a parable about a king who is sent out to save the date invitation. You know, we get those these days. We might get it a year in advance or nine to ten months in advance. And then after we've received the save the date, closer to the event, oftentimes a wedding, we actually get the invitation. You see, God had sent a save the date invitation to all of Israel through the prophets. In Isaiah today, we're hearing that he is coming. He has been promised. He is the Savior who will come and save the world. Messiah has been promised. God sent Israel a save the date. Now he's saying, it's time. The invitation has gone out. The son's wedding feast is prepared. Come, come in. Come and celebrate my son and his wedding feast. And of course, Jesus is talking about himself. He's the son. God's prepared a wedding feast for him. And of course, maybe it's a bit of a stretch, but we know that the bride of Christ is the church, is us. And so there's this wedding feast that has been prepared. And so he sends, the king sends his slaves with the final invitation, it's ready, come now, come in and celebrate. And yet they're too busy. They're too busy with their lives, with their businesses, with the day-to-day. And some are even so pestered by these slaves keeping coming with the invitation that they kill them just to not be pestered anymore. And the king is furious. This is the most important invitation that we can ever respond to, is the invitation to come to the wedding feast of the son. And so those others are cast out. In fact, um, 70 years, or in 70 A.D., after Jesus' death, 40 years after Jesus' death, um, Jerusalem is overcome, it's raised. The temple is destroyed. The only thing that uh, remains is what we know today as the Wailing Wall. In 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. So he says to his slaves, Go, then, these are unworthy. They were already given the save the date. They've been given the invitation. This is my son. 
I've prepared this amazing banquet for him. Go into the entire city and invite everybody in. Just go out. It's an open invitation. But you'll notice that the invitation requires a special garment, a clean, bright wedding garment to come in. This image of clothing and being differently clothed is throughout the New Testament scriptures. We hear in Paul writing to the Romans, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And to the Galatians, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You see, God's love is an open invitation. It goes into the highways and the byways because his love extends to all. It's a free invitation. But his love also means that he never wants his children to remain where they are with dirty rags, dirty clothes, sin-filled, He always wants wholeness and health in both our emotions and our spirits and our physical beings. That's what God desires. He never says, oh, that's okay. You can just stay sinning the way you are. There's always a challenge to change. The invitation is there. Come in. Put on the wedding garment. Put on the bright, clean attire of the wedding feast. In his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. It's a putting on. It's a taking on of Christ. Therefore, he says to the Colossians, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. And Peter, in his first epistle, admonishes us, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility, toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, it's throughout the scriptures to receive what is Christ. We put on Christ. We take on his righteousness, his holiness, his character. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. See, we receive this new raiment at our baptism. We are clothed in Christ. The old is no more. The new has come. You know, in the early church, 
They would literally come in um, at, uh, just before the sun rises on Easter morning. They'd face into the darkness of the West. They'd take off their dirty street clothes. They'd go into the baptismal font. They would be emerged underneath the waters as a symbol of dying to the old way of life, coming up. Life with Christ, eternal life, new life, a new attire, and then they're put into white raiment. White, symbolizing that which they have put on. They have put on Christ. The thing is, is that we have free will. And it's our choices that determine how clean we keep that raiment. Again, Paul says, be transformed. It's an ongoing. It is once, it's done, but it's also ongoing. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we are transformed more and more and so that the garment, the wedding garment, is kept clean and bright and holy and righteous and new. I was at a clergy conference this last week and um, one of my fellow rectors, we were talking and he'd been on a conference and uh, he was telling me about this woman called Dr. Caroline Leaf and she was one of the presenters at the conference and uh, he was just so taken by what she'd been saying. She's a Christian woman, she's a neuroscientist, a neuropsychopath, psychotherapist, uh, psychologist. Anyway, she's a neuro all the way through. <laughs> she understands quantum physics, and uh, which, you know, quantum physics is about not the same time and space continuum that we're used to thinking about in traditional physics and science. It's completely put all of that on its head. And she's also got a PhD in communications pathology. Anyway, I googled her because I was so interested. And that evening, I listened to one of her talks. It's about how to take our toxic thoughts captive. And um, she's talking about the fact that thoughts actually physically change the brain. We just think of our thoughts being kind of, you know, out there. They're calm and they're gone. But she can see in the brain that thoughts change the brain. That's why scripture, science is now catching up with scripture. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's the mind's. See, our thoughts change our brains. And she had this really dead branch, blackened dead branch, you know, the kind you can buy around Halloween, you know, those nasty things. And then she has another little tree that's all green and growing, and that's in the brain. Every time we have a toxic thought, every time we get angry, every time we, get, um, we, we have unforgiveness in there, 
It's a toxic thought. It actually uh, creates these branches within our physical brains. And then because it's a bad thought, there's inflammation that occurs around there. And the inflammation comes out as anxiety, as stress, and it goes on. And that's why, you know, we're hearing more and more in medicine that that what happens to us physically comes out of what's happening to us emotionally and spiritually. We're all combined. We're we're not in. We're not uh, cut up people. We're all one. And so these thoughts. In in Deuteronomy 13.19, Moses says, I lay before you blessings and curses, life and death. Choose life. Choose good thoughts. The great thing is, is that she says the brain is neuroplastic, which means that it has the ability to change What happens with toxic thoughts is the proteins collapse in on themselves. There are 200 billion neurons in our brains, and that's just 2%. And then the the neurons go into dendrites. I can't remember all of the terms, but it's absolutely fascinating that science just describes in a different way what we've been told in God's Word. That's what Paul's saying. I encourage you, be constant in prayer. Get your minds aligned with God's mind. And then the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. The peace finally and then he, so he says, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The toxic thoughts will eventually die out and be replaced by these green, flourishing trees in your brain. Physically, the thought turns into a physical thing in your brain. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think, and it changes our brains. It changes our memories. It changes how we continue to live. We live differently. When we've taken our thoughts captive, that's another scriptural passage, take your thoughts captive. No longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, that's what we do to keep our wedding garments pure and white and holy and righteous because we're being transformed into the image of Christ. So I encourage you this day to 
take captive your thoughts, to change the patterns in your brains, to be transformed into the likeness of Christ by focusing on whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, whatever is worthy of praise. And let us celebrate and give thanks that we've been invited in to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Amen.